I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Welcome to Hashtag History, episode six. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. (laughs) (laughs) And you haven't even had anything to drink yet. I didn't, but I know you were talking about taking a shot before this one. Did you do it? No, I didn't. I was thinking just with what we're doing tonight with recordings and everything, I decided, never mind. I'm not going to be too crazy. Yeah. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine something with me for a moment. That is, if you're not driving while listening to this episode, please do not close your eyes if you are driving right now. (laughs) I want you to imagine this. You know that there are so many things about history, about ancient, ancient history, that we simply don't know, and much of that is simply because it's just so old, and records weren't necessarily always archived nor retained. Now, I want you to imagine a place where we could gather all of the answers to all of our questions about ancient civilizations. I want you to imagine a central location that contained upwards of 700,000 resources that you could use to obtain any and every type of information you could imagine about the ancient world. Now, I want you to imagine all of that information vanishing. All of that beautiful, amazing history that we could now have today about historical philosophies, medicines, inventions, and more. Okay, so you got all that fabricated there in your mind? Yes. Now, what if I told you that that story was real? What if I told you that there really was a central location that contained the answers to all of the world's biggest questions about ancient history and that that location was destroyed and with it, our knowledge of the ancient world just vanished? That's the story we are diving into today, but first I'm gonna hand it over to you, Leah, for this week's cocktail segment. Okay, because the story we are diving into today is in modern-day Egypt, right along the Mediterranean, I wanted us to do something Mediterranean and refreshing and easy to do. (laughs) So it turns out it wasn't so easy, but I chose the Mediterranean Mule. It contains two ounces of fig-flavored vodka, one ounce of house-made sour mix or limoncello, and then three ounces of ginger beer, which ginger beer is my favorite. It smells so good. Yeah, I'm actually beyond excited for this I'm dying to try it. So I don't remember if I told you this when I gave you all the mixings because I wanted wanted you to be shocked, Mm -hmm. but guess what? Tell me what. I made the fig fig vodka and the sour mix all by, like, hand. Are you serious? Yeah, I made it all myself, girl. How? How? What'd you do? I bought some vodka and cut up some figs and threw it in there. (laughs) (laughs) 
and Dude, speaking that's of, awesome. Yeah. And, and then speaking of figs, um, the house that we're about to close on Yay! has a fig tree in the back. Oh. So if we like this, I can just make us fig vodka all the time. I love it. And congratulations, too. Thank you. So I I know it's not really easy whatsoever, but I do think it'll be worth it. So let's just take a sip and nice. see if we like it. Cheers, Cheers. to you. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty good. Um, Leah, you don't mind just taking over the rest of the episode so I can just drink this the whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, as you can see, I am not very good at reading right now because <laughs> everything I'm saying, I'm tripping over my words. So oh, I don't think that'll work for me, but <laughs> I'm oh, glad you enjoy it. <laughs> I love it. Good. I, I actually, I, vodka isn't my favorite favorite. Like I, sometimes I'm okay with it, but I definitely like it in this. This is delicious. So for everybody out there, if you don't ever try one of the cocktails we do, try this one. Yeah, and it's ser- I seriously just took like the cheapest vodka on the shelf and literally just cut up some figs and threw them in there for like, I think it was like four or five days. And then just strained it afterwards. And it came out this really cute pink color, again, with the pink drink. I yes. That's like our theme for these couple of episodes, but... No, it looks delicious, it smells delicious, and OMG, it is so good. Yeah, girl. Cool. I love it. <laughs> it's really a spin on the Moscow Mule. A lot of people might call us out on that. So it, if anybody does call us out on that, I know it's very similar to a Moscow Mule, and that was intentional because that's one of my favorite drinks as well. Okay, go ahead. Perfect. It's... um. I guess it does have a Moscow Mule taste to it, huh? Yeah, because Moscow Mules have the ginger beer and then just regular vodka and okay. um, usually just lime juice. Yeah, because I say they're not this color. No, no. That's the fig. That pink color is all from the fig vodka. Gotcha. Yeah. Dude, it's delicious. Excellent job. Whoop, whoop. I love it. Love it. Okay. So diving into this week's episode, I actually wanted to start with a little bit of background about you and I, Leah, and about why we started this podcast. Okay. We started this podcast because we wanted to talk about two different types of events. The first type of event we wanted to cover are those really well-known events in history, things like Chappaquiddick or presidential assassinations or whatnot, the events that people think they already know a lot about, but we wanted the opportunity to dive even deeper into all of those little details that most people don't know. The second type of event that we wanted to cover on this podcast are those events that most people just simply do not know about, the type that was not taught in history class and somehow slipped off your radar. And that is the type of event we are talking about today. Today, we are talking about the Library of Alexandria. If any of our listeners out there have heard about the Library of Alexandria prior to today's episode, shoot us a DM on Instagram, which, Leah, tell them the Instagram handle. Hashtag, wait, I already forgot it. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, what is our, 
Is it hashtag underscore history? What is no! it? Hold hashtag, on. Okay. Hashtag history underscore podcast. Woohoo. Yes. So <laughs> go shoot us a message on Instagram if you have heard of the Library of Alexandria. Prior to today, I would love to hear um, what you know about it and how you heard about it. But for those that have never heard about the Library of Alexandria, or even to those that have, I am so excited to be discussing one of history's greatest mysteries and one of history's most tragic losses. Now, the Library of Alexandria was established in, we believe, sometime around 295 BCE in Alexandria, Egypt, although we cannot be certain about the exact date. The origins of the library are pretty muddied. What we do know from various different ancient sources is that this library was huge. It contained thousands upon thousands of scrolls. It had large Greek columns, a reading room, meeting rooms, lecture halls, gardens, everything. Leah, I wish there were pictures that I could show you so that you could describe them, but of course there are no pictures because we're talking about something that existed thousands of years ago. Yeah. The Library of Alexandria, it was meant from the beginning to be the largest library in the world that contained knowledge from all of the surrounding countries. Under Ptolemy II's rule, he had government agents with lots of money and lots of resources traveling to the surrounding countries and purchasing every single book they could find, making copies of those books, and then returning the copies to the owners while they kept the originals. These agents, their jobs extended to attending book fairs and other library-like establishments in order to acquire every known piece of writing. So basically, it's like your dream job. 100%. (laughs) Yes. If, If this is a real job out there, purchasing every book in existence and attending book fairs, I am the most qualified candidate, and I would like to submit my resume right now. Please and thank you. Yeah, go ahead and also tag us on Instagram if you have a job for Rachel. (laughs) Like even just this weekend. um, So this weekend, we're publishing this episode a couple weeks from now, but when we're recording it, we just passed Labor Day. And there is a really cute little bookstore um, near where I live. And sadly, they're actually going out of business. And so the whole store was up to 75% off. So I ended up buying like 10 books that I literally will probably not read for at least a year because I have Mm -hmm. 700 other books that I still haven't read. Yeah. But yeah, if, if this is a job, let me know your girl is interested. (laughs) (laughs) The intent of this library was so that Ptolemy, he could brag about having the largest library ever in existence, and so he could brag about Alexandria having the most knowledge and the most intelligent people in the world all in one location. This search for any and every book in existence, it also meant that any books found on ships that came into the port in Egypt, they were taken to the Library of Alexandria immediately to be copied, and then the copies were then returned to the owners. 
The Library of Alexandria was also a place for the greatest minds in history to come and study, work on their various theories, hold lectures, and collaborate with one another. These scholars were actually paid to study at the Library of Alexandria and were even given free food and lodging. So, you know, if there's a job out there for that, I would like to apply for it as well. Free food, lodging, and you get to hang out in a library all day. Yes, please. Yeah, that sounds like a nerd's paradise. (laughs) And I am a nerd, so... Okay, Leah, so I'm going to go through a handful of the scholars that studied at Alexandria, and I want to try something. I'm scared. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) I've sent over a bunch of pictures to you of the various scholars I'm going to talk about. And when I say the name of each scholar, before I kind of talk about them and explain what their accomplishments were, I want you to look at their picture and just blurt out like the first three things that come to your mind. Okay. Okay. Yes. I'm actually excited. I thought I would have to, it would be like a test on something, but this is, this is fun. This is like a game. No, no, no. This is a game. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Drum roll. Starting with Euclid. Okay. Beard. Uh, looks like he has a turban. Um, <laughs> writing something down on his desk. Triangles. I don't. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> Euclid. This sounds like a, a game show. Like you just hit the buzzer and literally just scream whatever you think of first. <laughs> My type of game show. Yeah. <laughs> So Euclid was a very important mathematician that is considered to have been the father of modern geometry. He is also infamous for his work titled Elements, which has been considered to be the most successful textbook ever written and is second only to the Bible for the most number of editions published. Elements was used in schools all the way up until the 20th century when elements of elements were then inserted into other textbooks. So obviously we're still taught and still using the concepts from elements thousands upon thousands of years later. Alex, my fiance, who is also a high school math teacher and a 100% genius, he (laughs) told me, I was kind of going through the episode with him beforehand, He told me to insert this little part here just to really bring this down to earth for everyone, that if you took geometry in high school, essentially you learned concepts from elements. And that's really, really cool. I have totally tried to get Alex to come on the podcast because he's a genius, number one. And also because every single one of these people I'm about to talk about, he already knows everything about all of them without doing any research. Oh my gosh. Go Alex. So he's my personal Google engine and a total nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Match made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, except for the math part. (laughs) All right. Next one up. You ready, Leah? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Eratosthenes. Whoa. <laughs> Big head. Uh, looks Grecian. Um, one more. Let's see. Uh, big head, because that's all I'm looking at right now. That's, that's head, a big honker. Big like, head wow. And yeah. big head. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hilarious. I knew you were going to say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Eratosthenes, he became a head librarian at Alexandria. He was the man responsible for creating the study of geography and much of the geographical terminology that we use today. The most fascinating thing about him was the fact that he was able to discover the circumference of the earth and was only off by like 200 miles. How he figured it out is even more fascinating. He Did he ca- use his head to measure it? Stop it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Did he compare it to the size of his head and it was only 200 miles off? Stop. I can't wait to post these pictures later so people can see what you're seeing. I know. Oh my God. No, that is not how he feared it. Okay, okay. Tell me how he did it. He... He calculated the Earth's circumference without ever having left Alexandria. He was able to determine this figure by measuring shadows. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Like, genius with that big old head of his. With that big old honking head of his. (laughs) It's also possible that Eratosthenes was responsible for measuring the distance between the Earth and the Sun as well as for creating the Leap Day, February 29th. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Next one up, Leah. Okay. Hero. Um, a beard again? I don't, like, I don't know. He actually, he looks pretty handsome. Like an older, older man kind of handsome. Mm -hmm. Um... And creepy eyes. I, like, I don't know what I, I'm, I feel like I'm not doing a great job describing it, but hopefully it's entertaining. <laughs> I, again, knew you were going to say something about the eyes because they totally are creepy looking in that picture. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Hero, he was a famous inventor who also taught at the Library of Alexandria. He invented about 101 different things, but here are just a few of the things he invented. He invented the first ever vending machine. So thank you, Hero. The, yeah, the wind wheel, which was the first ever wind powered machine. He also invented the first ever steam powered machine. And he invented the foundations of the syringe. Wow. And yeah. And final one, Leah. Mm -hmm. It's Hypatia. Uh, oh, it's the, the first female one we're looking at, mm-hmm. which I love it. Um, Grecian looking, um, what's my first thought? She looks pensive. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got for you. Yeah. She's, she's pensive looking. Um, I <laughs> saved the best for last in that she was a badass, brilliant woman. And you know, Get it, girl. both of us are all about girl power. She is, in fact, actually the first known female mathematician. Of course, I'm sure there were female mathematicians before her, but she was the first to ever be written about, which says a lot about her and how important she was. She taught at the Library of Alexandria, and her teachings had a huge impact on those in Alexandria at the time and still today in the math world. So, all of these people that I mentioned, They not only studied at Alexandria, but they also taught there, bringing up and educating the next great set of minds. 
Now, the Library of Alexandria, it was just one piece of the Greater Alexandrian Museum, whose whole purpose was to educate the next generation. From what we've read of the ancient texts, the books at the library were categorized in a very organized manner with the various subjects like law, tragedy, comedy, poetry, math, science, medicine, and more, each in their own specific categories. So, you know, much like the libraries that we have today. With so many great minds working at Alexandria, some of these brilliant people, they were able to completely categorize ancient Egyptian history into the 30 dynasties that we now know and study today. These scholars working at Alexandria, they were also instrumental in translating the Hebrew Bible known as the Septuagint, which we, of course, know is still used and still studied to this day. One can only speculate just how much more we would know today if this amazing library and central ground for unfathomable knowledge could have survived just a little bit longer. So what happened to the Library of Alexandria? I teased at the beginning that the library just one day vanished, but why and how? There are plenty of theories. The greatest and most widely spread and most widely believed theory is that it was burned to the ground by none other than, drumroll please, Julius Caesar. What? Julius, what you doing? (laughs) In 48 BC, during Caesar's conquest and growth of the Roman Empire, he attempted to overtake Egypt, but he was cut off by an Egyptian fleet at Alexandria. In response to this, Caesar ordered his men to set fire to the ships in the harbor, which then spread and destroyed the Egyptian fleet. This fire also spread to the city of Alexandria and burned parts of it down, including, legend has it, the Library of Alexandria. Caesar did write of starting the fire in the harbor, but he never wrote about burning the library. This could be because Caesar had nothing to do with it, Or because, as we know about him now when studying him, he rarely wrote anything that might look bad about himself. So he may have omitted that from his own history intentionally. There is ancient writing, though, from Seneca, a Roman philosopher, that was preserved over time in which he stated that 40,000 scrolls were destroyed as the result of a fire that was started by Caesar— And yet another writer, Plutarch, he also wrote of the library fire and also stated that it had been started by Caesar. There's plenty of evidence to poke holes in the Caesar theory, but the majority of historians do believe that he was involved. The next theory is that it was Christians that destroyed the library, although there is next to no evidence to support this. All we know is that in 391 AD, Emperor Theodosius issued a decree that outlawed paganism, which included knocking down other structures in Alexandria and converting them into churches. There's speculation that perhaps this is what happened to the library, since the library did, of course, contain some pretty secular writings. But again, there's zero evidence of this. It's practically solely just speculative. And can I just interlude that... Right when you said Theodosius, I was like, Theodosia writes me a letter every day, 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 day. 
We need to get up. Okay, either we need to stop hanging out so much or just get out of each other's brains because literally when I wrote that, I knew I knew this moment was going to happen. Like, I literally, I started hearing the dun, 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 and the claps. I, I knew all the way down to the that you were going to do that. Actually, since Leah brought that up, Here's a tiny, tiny, tiny spoiler for next week's episode. Mm. It may or may not have some relation to that song. Yes. (laughs) So the third and final great theory suggests that Muslims were responsible for the destruction of the library. But truthfully, I am not even going to go into that theory because there's literally zero evidence of it. And I really believe it's just different religious groups trying to cast blame on one another. So moving on. Yes, please. (laughs) It's entirely possible that the myths surrounding the destruction of the Library of Alexandria are simply that, just myths. There are many historians and even just common everyday folks that also believe it's totally possible that over time, the library simply fell apart. Maybe there were no longer government funds to continue to support it, and it simply fell apart over time as any institution does, if not given the proper attention and resources. It's also interesting to note that the remains of the Library of Alexandria have never been found. Because there are still people living in Alexandria, archaeological discoveries are really limited. Because the remains of the library have never been found, Of course, there is a myth that perhaps the library never truly existed, but I refuse to believe that myth. I think that is just for conspiracy theorists. There is way too much significant evidence to support the existence of the library. There's just not enough evidence to figure out what the heck happened to it. Probably because it got burned down. (laughs) That, that... There's a reason why that is the most widely believed theory about Mm -hmm. Caesar burning it down because there is so much writing about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think most historians, like very educated historians, believe that. I mean, I'm not very educated, but I believe it. Mm -hmm. Nor am I a historian. I'm taking a a lot, a lot of drinks. I've been done for like five minutes. No joke. Actually, more than (laughs) that. I might have finished it within Uh, five minutes of the... Stop it. No, I'm not joking. I still have like half of mine left. What? Did you like make a double or something? No, because I'm talking, dude. Oh, take a break. Take a sip. (laughs) Oh, no, I did. Okay. Okay. Super fascinating. But a library of Alexandria was actually constructed and opened in Alexandria, Egypt in 2002 with the intention of representing the original library. I took this information from the website directly. So this is a direct quote right here. The building can house 20 million books. It currently has about 200,000 copies, most of which were purchased by donations. There are 50,000 maps, 10,000 manuscripts, 50,000 rare books, and also copies of the modern world with 10,000 multimedia files and 50,000 audio visuals. Today, the library receives about 800,000 visitors each year. 
So, as occurs after researching nearly every episode we do, Leah, I am now adding this to my bucket list of places that I have to see before I die. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Pretty amazing. That's something, um, if you guys are going to do any homework after listening to this episode, that would be something to check out. Um, Just Google online the modern day library of Alexandria and check it out. It's really, really cool. And that is all we've got for this week. There's a lot for you guys to noodle on. Um, this is this is definitely one of those stories to tell at a party to make you sound like a genius. Start talking about the Library of Alexandria and people will think you are brilliant. Or is that just me? Are these just the party stories that I tell? Yeah, that sounds more like a Rachel type thing. <laughs> Other people are talking about like sports and the weather. I'm like, but do you know about the library? Have you heard? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that would be you. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Hashtag History. We will have a link to our website in the show notes so you can see all of those photos that Leah very hilariously described. I try. We will also be posting the pictures to our Instagram. If you're ever interested, the link to our website is also where you can see all of the sources we use to put together our episodes. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend, and give us a rate and review. And as always, be sure to check us out on Instagram at Hashtag History underscore podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.